The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you speak. Lord, as we continue to re-encounter the story of the nativity, of your coming to earth, Lord, I pray that uh, as we learn about how you interacted uh, with your original followers and with uh, those uh, individuals, Lord, we see a small part of our own story in that. We say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So we're in a series called The Nativity. And the word nativity comes from the word native. And we've been talking about how when Jesus came, he went native to live among the natives. In a lot of ways, one of the reasons why I think the nativity as a whole draws us in is because the idea of God coming to earth is surreal, right? But the idea of God coming to earth as a baby, well, we know what a baby's like, and so we can put our minds around that. And the people that he interacts with, the shepherds, even the magi, the wise people, we know smart folks, right? We've seen shepherds before. We've seen farmers and cowboys Parents, certainly Mary and Joseph, it's easy to identify with the people that Jesus interacts with. It's easy to kind of find our story in their story. And so this series, we're literally going through the different characters in the nativity and again, kind of looking at their stories with fresh eyes and realizing how God goes native, how God lives among the native, and quite frankly, how God messes with the lives of the natives. Because really, in the story of Mary and Joseph, their lives, their plans got totally upended, right? So this is a young couple, they're engaged, they're probably between the ages of like 13 and 20, right? So these are some fairly young kids. They're in love, they obviously care about each other, scripture talks about that, you see that in their interactions, you see that how even when they think they're betrayed, they take care of one another. But they have some relatively simple common dreams. Good dreams, but simple dreams, right? Joseph's a carpenter, so he's probably either an apprentice under someone or looking at starting his own business. They're getting their marriage together. They're getting their wedding together. So all that planning, all this family is going to come in. And they did weddings right back in the day, right? They weren't these one day, you know, from 3 p.m. to 10 p.m. weddings. No, if you were going to throw a wedding, you were going to have a 7 to 12 day long event where all your family and friends came in and there was the best wine and they would sacrifice lambs and just good food and good times. And so they're building up for this big celebration. Everything's looking great. And then God shows up, 
and mucks the whole process up, right? We have this in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, so before they had sex, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. It's pretty safe to say this is clearly not Joseph, or Mary's for that matter, plan, right? This was not the idea. This was not the ideal situation. And honestly, I don't know who I feel worse for in this point, right? Because the first angel shows up to Mary, says, hey, funny story, you're going to have the child of God, the son of God. There is no basis, no foundation that you can pull from, right, in history, even in the Bible, that's like, yeah, that's in the cards. That's one of the potential things that could happen to me, right? There's a lot of things that could happen, right? Uh, nations could take over you. You could be a slave. You got all kinds of stuff. But God's son, that is definitely not in Mary's planned book, right? There's no basis for that. And so I feel for Mary. But then I also feel for Joseph, right? Because, again, he's engaged. They're in love. He cares for this woman. And she comes up and she's like, funny story. Didn't cheat on you, but I'm pregnant. And it's God's kid. And Joseph, right, anyone comes to you and says that. If you're a parent, if you're a friend, if you're the fiance, and a woman comes and says, hey, I'm pregnant, but I didn't cheat. This doesn't work. And so we get to see a little bit of Joseph's heart in that, right? The next section of Scripture, verse 19 says, Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And in this, what we see is Joseph's character, right? Because in the Old Testament, and quite frankly, not just the Old Testament in Israel and in Judah, but in Old Testament times, if you were engaged and the woman was found to be pregnant, and it wasn't through the union of the fiancé, the woman had very little rights in the situation. In fact, in some cultures, she could be executed. But the mildest thing that would happen was she would be publicly shamed. There would be this literal public event where the husband would publicly say, this woman is an adulterer. This woman is a expletive, and we've got a lot of those that we could use in American context, right? So that is the minimum of what would typically happen if a fiancé gets pregnant. But Joseph doesn't want to do that. He loves her. And so his response is, all right, I can't be with someone who's going to cheat on me, but I don't want her to have to go through the ringer. And so he gets it in his mind. You know what? We're going to do this quiet. We're not going to get married, but we're just going to go our separate ways, and I'm not going to make you go through that. So then again, God shows up, the angel comes, and he says, But after he had considered this, Joseph, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. At this point, Mary and Joseph are realizing God is doing something a lot bigger than what they intended. God's plans were bigger than a seven-day-long wedding. God's plans for them were bigger than Joseph becoming an apprentice or getting his own shop. 
They were bigger than Mary having the wedding shower and the baby showers and everything else. God was doing something bigger. God was doing something grander. God was saving the hero, the Messiah, the promised Prince of Peace. And he was going to use ordinary folk to do it. Because you see, God uses ordinary folk. He doesn't need to. He's God. He could use the kings and the queen, the political elites, the billionaires. But time and time again throughout Scripture, what we see is a God who works through ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And we see that in the story of Jesus. We see when he goes native, he works with ordinary folk. He does extraordinary, beautiful things to save folks from their sins. The Old Testament word for sin meant to miss the mark. And we have a world that misses the mark a lot, right? The guy in the mirror. The guy I wake up every morning and see, he misses the mark a lot. I miss the mark when I'm driving down the road and someone cuts me off. I miss the mark when I get an email and I'm like, that person said, what? We already did this, right? I miss the mark in my marriage. I miss the mark with my neighbors. I need a God who specializes in people who misses the mark. We see it on Facebook. We see it in our news. We need a God whose plan is bigger than this small stuff because the small stuff adds up to big stuff. I love that line in uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Bind all the nations in one heart and mind. Be our king of peace. See, that was what God was planning. That was the long game that God was using. It goes on, it says, And all this took place to fulfill what had been said through the prophets. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means... God with us. This is a call back to Isaiah 7. But what we see here is something that we call typology. We talked a little bit about this last week with the scapegoat in Leviticus, right? And how the scapegoat was foreshadowing what Jesus was going to do. They were going to put all the sins on the scapegoat, send the scapegoat out, scapegoat dies. That's what happens with Jesus. Again, though, this is what's happening. It's an Old Testament situation that's foreshadowing what's going to happen in Christ. God had done something in the Old Testament as an example of the bigger and better thing he was going to do in Jesus. And this comes from Isaiah. It talks about these nations that are going to come and they've plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. Therefore, the Lord yourself will give you a sign. So these nations, 700 years before Jesus was born, We're coming to invade Judah. And the people were freaking out. And everyone knew it was going to happen. And God said, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to fight for you. You're not left alone. And he goes, I'm going to give you this sign. It says the virgin, but in Hebrew here, this could mean virgin or it could just mean the young maiden, will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And he will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For the boy who knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. This actually historically happened. These countries that were about to attack Israel, God had said, there's going to be a child born. The mom's going to name him Emmanuel, God with us. And by the time he's old enough to choose right and wrong, I will destroy the two kings. I'll save you. I'll protect you. And this will be my sign to you. 
This is a type, something that happens in the Old Testament that's foreshadowing what's going to happen in Jesus, right? Because this is just a young maiden. This isn't an immaculate conception birth in the Old Testament. It's just a woman who gets pregnant, names her son Emmanuel, and that's the sign that God is protecting for people. And that's what happens in Jesus, but in a bigger and better way. Did you ever play that game growing up, bigger or better? I used to do it with my youth group where we get groups of students together and you would each start off with a penny. And you would take that penny and you'd knock on a door in a neighborhood and you'd say, hi, I'm playing bigger or better with my church. Do you have anything that you can give me that is bigger or better than a penny? And then that house, if they want to play, will either give you something larger than a penny, it could be a pencil, it could be a sheet of paper, or something better than a penny. Maybe they give you a nickel, a quarter, a dollar. I remember when we played this game, my group ended with a broken washing machine. And my youth pastor was so upset because he had to figure out how to get rid of a broken washing machine because they couldn't do it. And so they pawned it off on this group of kids. And so we come back with this massive thing. And he's like, what? No. Oh, this was a bad idea. I immediately regret my decision, right? This idea of bigger or better. In the Old Testament, what God was doing, it is bigger or better in Jesus, Right? In the Old Testament, he protects a family or he protects a nation. In the New Testament, he says, I have come to save the world. In the Old Testament, he fights for temporal well-being, temporal daily bread. In the New Testament, he says, no, I'm playing for everything. Not just physical bread, but spiritual bread as well. I'm going to redeem the world. I'm here to repair the world, the kingdom of God, the reign of God. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. He goes, that's why I'm here. It is bigger or better than anything we can possibly perceive. And quite frankly, the story of Mary and Joseph, even getting the information from the angels, what was going to happen, their perspective was limited. They didn't realize how big of a game God was playing. This comes from Isaiah 55, and it says, Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I've made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, but make it bud and flourish so that it yields for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent. And why did he send it? What's his end goal? He says, you will go out in joy. You'll be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Mary and Joseph had a choice. They had their own plans. And God showed up. And he asked them to trust that his plans were bigger than their own perspectives. And mind you, as fun as the nativity story is, we forget what happens right after. A king comes, finds out a new king's born, he's like, oh, we got to take this, we got to nip this in the butt before this gets anywhere. And so they end up having to flee for their lives, living as refugees in Egypt, a country that is not their own, where the language isn't right, 
where their religion isn't right, where they're hiding for their lives. Because immediately after the birth of Jesus, people are already out to get them. God's plan isn't necessarily easy. It's certainly not safe. But it's good. And one of the narratives we get in Scripture is that God's plan for what he is doing is bigger than our perspective. He works among normal folk to do extraordinary things. And then, in the same way he asked Mary and Joseph to be a part of his plan, even when it didn't all make sense, even when it was inconvenient socially or economically or physically, where they got to live, says, I need you to trust in me. I am playing for the end game of the redemption and the restoration of people, of broken families, of broken communities, and ultimately a broken world. See, that's the story of the nativity. That's the story of Jesus. Jesus literally means God saves. Spiritually, he saves us from our sins. But our God is a holistic God who is fighting for his entire creation to be brought back into relationship with him, for us to be in relationship with each other, and for us to be in relationship with our world. But we also have to be honest that, you know what? Oftentimes, that guy in the mirror, he still needs regular forgiveness. My own worst thinking gets in the way of following Jesus. And so he invites us to again come before him and receive forgiveness of sins. He tells his disciples in John, if you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. And it's not that me as a pastor has any special mojo that allows forgiveness of sins to happen. No, he says anyone who is connected to the body of Christ, when you hear God forgives you, he goes, God forgives you. That's powerful. That is a God who saves. That is a God who fights for his people. And so we're going to have a time of confession now. We're going to be honest with our God that, you know what? Yep, still need rescuing. But then what's cool is he's going to show up. Communion. Emmanuel, God with us. Take and eat. This is my body. Take and drink. This is my blood. This is how I will fight for you and connect you to God, connect you to each other, and then send you out to be a part of his plan. Ordinary folks doing extraordinary things. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you, a good God, a God who fights for us in so many different ways, a God who does not leave us abandoned, a God who, even when we are like little children in rebellion, hitting you with our hands, you're still wrapping your arms around us and hugging us. Lord, we thank you for being a God who specializes in broken people. Lord, we come before you now in honest confession with our brokenness. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.